Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. Welcome to Off the Post. I'm your host, John Mattis of Post Media, and today on the line from Minnesota, I have Matthew Collar of ESPN Insider of 1500 ESPN. Uh, We are going to talk about the hottest topic in hockey, the NHL expansion draft featuring Bill Foley, George McPhee, and the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, We're recording this Wednesday night, moments after it finishes, it wraps up. And we're going to have some instant uh, takes from Mr. Caller. Uh, how's it going, Matt? I am doing very well. It was uh, very, very exciting. We got awards and draft picks on the same night. What more could you ask for? I'm being sarcastic. Uh, I, I don't understand, John, the decision to do both of these things, but I guess it worked out okay. The only theory that I could think of, the only reasoning, is that the NHL wanted good numbers for their award show. Like, I don't know why else you would do it. I guess because they, they're holding the draft so close to the expansion draft, uh, they had to fit everything, fit everything in so quickly. But, yeah, it was really weird how the picks were sort of weaving in and out and then the, the a couple awards. It was just – it was kind of awkward because they, they don't really connect. I mean, here's a brand-new team and here's us reflecting on the season that was. It was, it was a little odd. Yeah, I feel like they could have done this a couple of nights earlier, but even the reveal of teams' protected lists didn't go off smoothly on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock when they uh, decide to then move it to 10.30 in the morning, just all of a sudden. It's kind of typical of what we've gotten used to with how the NHL is run, but just you know, thinking about how excited people get for drafts in general – I mean, you, you would have thought you would have wanted to clear out everything and own that night with your draft because this is so rare and unique. And, you know, if this would had been a Columbus draft or even a Minnesota draft for an expansion, maybe you'd go, ah, okay, whatever, do it this way. But Vegas, this is history. This is the first team uh, professionally outside of uh, the XFL to, uh, to, to be here for many of the major leagues. And, and this is something I feel like, fans that even weren't the the craziest hockey nuts like us would kind of be interested in, right? Uh, Just because it's so intriguing and and unique and different. And instead of working to find a way to to grab eyeballs, instead they stick it with an award show that, you know, just like you said, I think you used the right word, just this whole thing kind of went off awkwardly. but, But they've got a team, John, so I guess that's all that matters. Yeah, well, props for dropping uh, the XFL. That's that's a first for this podcast that uh, anyone's brought up. <laughs> the, the Vince McMahon experiment that went horribly wrong. Um, if we could talk about the the expansion draft. So the Knights, they had to pick a player from each team, um, and they, they obviously did that. They, had, they ended up with 14 forwards, 13 defensemen, and three goalies. So obviously it's not going to end up that way on opening night. Uh, a huge uh, amount, of, amount of defensemen right now that they need to get rid of. 
And I need to um, emphasize right now that the players that we're talking about are pro well, not probably, um, not. Uh, I should phrase it as not all the players we're going to be talking about are going to be on Vegas's team uh, in the fall. They have deals in place or deals that are going to be worked out uh, within the next few days even. And then, you know, by the time training camp comes by, there's probably some guys that, that will be cut. So, um, but, but they have their base, they have their core from this expansion draft. That's, that's the whole reason you have it. So let's get, let's get to it with the goalies. Uh, they have Marc-Andre Fleury, Calvin Picard, and uh, JF Berube uh, of the, the Islanders, a forgotten sort of piece there on the Island. What do you think of the three goalies that they were able to acquire? Well, I think that they were able to kind of stick with the whole philosophy of this entire thing is in get a player in Marc-Andre Fleury, who has been a really good starter in the past, who could help you win right away or be at least competitive right away, but also two other goalies that have future potential. And uh, Kelvin Pickard or Picard, whichever way uh, everybody pronounced it, I've heard it different ways, but uh, either way, he had a 922 save percentage last year. He was a pretty decent goalie, and he's a guy that Colorado liked for a long time as a prospect coming up through their system, and he might be your future goaltender. And uh, Barube, I guess, has a chance to, to do that too. So if you look through this entire roster, I think what we'll find all over the place is you have guys that you could get rid of if you want to. You've got guys who can actually play and have proven they can play. And then you've got some guys with potential, or you use uh, the picks here to trade for guys like Shea Theodore that have a lot of potential. And I feel like they did that with the goaltending. And if Pittsburgh is going to beg you and plead you to take Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, I know that he's uh, been criticized a lot for playoff performances and things like that, but the guy, uh, at least you know exactly what you're going to get is someone who has a ton of experience and has been really good uh, in the regular season in the past and then showed in this last playoffs that, that he can step up when, when it comes to the biggest times, even though they eventually turned to Matt Murray. I thought Marc-Andre Fleury was huge at times. So uh, I, I really like the, the way they started in goal with some future potential and then a guy that, that's ready to step in right now. Yeah, I think getting Flurry as much as it was, it was telegraphed that it, that wasn't it, is, it wasn't a surprise in any way. I think it was a slam dunk for for Vegas in terms of getting you know a great personality that doesn't seem to have any problem with going out in the community. Um, he's always got a smile on his face. I think that's that's a pretty big big component of this. Um, his cap hit isn't outrageous. It's five point seven five. That's not that's not bad. Um, you know, he's an average, capable goalie. Um, can definitely start 60 games or whatever you need from him. Uh, and the fact that he waived his no move and is, and is looking for a fresh start, that's, that's another one, uh, another component that, that you gotta love if you're, if you're the Vegas Golden Knights. And, uh, yeah, I mean, his numbers have declined. He's, he's obviously not in his prime anymore, but, um, that's just the way it goes in terms of, uh, goaltending and guys getting older and really, uh, if, if you want to find a good goal, you have to draft and develop. So, uh, they were never going to find uh, a, an absolute gem that's just left unprotected. Um, and then Pickard they have, and, and Brube they have. Two two young guys that I don't think we've seen their full potential, so I guess we'll see um, how that goes. I'm I'm a little surprised that they didn't pick more than three goalies because there was a lot of chatter and there was um, really a lot of good thinking out there that they could take five, six goalies and, and sort of have their 
have their pick from there and the guys that they don't want, they, they sell off for draft picks because really what they're doing here with the expansion draft, since teams had to protect one goalie is they had their, they could basically pick everyone's backup um, more or less across the league. So, you know, I'm pretty sure teams would want those backups back or, or something equivalent. So uh, they obviously went with a different strategy. They're hoarding a lot of defensemen right now. Um, so we'll see how that turns out. But I think the three that they picked in terms of goalies, uh, other than maybe they they shouldn't have passed on Philip Grubauer, but, you know, they got Nate Schmidt from, from Washington. You had to pick one or the other. So that's the only one that I sort of, you know, I'm on the fence about. But the three that they got, I'm, I'm pretty happy if I'm a Vegas fan. Well, I think uh, two points on this. With Marc-Andre Fleury, he's 32 right now. And generally, historically, goalies get to 35-36 before they really fall off the side of the cliff. So they don't have the same age curve as everybody else does. If you can get a couple of good years here left of Marc-Andre Fleury, I don't think his save percentage this year is worth really looking at because he was in and out. He wasn't the starter all the time like he had been uh, for the rest of his career. But the previous two seasons are, are pretty solid. And to the cap hit point, I mean, you got to spend money on somebody, right, to get to that, that floor that they had to reach. And if you're talking about which position to stack up to spin guys off, I mean, I, I go back to the Adam Larson for uh, Taylor Hall trade with that and just say, if you've got a decent defenseman, he's going to pull in more as far as assets than probably any other position because they're not easy to find. So when you have somebody like Nate Schmidt, maybe you're thinking, well, we could keep him because he's a nice young defenseman, but if we put him out on the open market, we're going to get, you know, 29 or 30 calls uh, that, you know, people are going to want Nate Schmidt because uh, I think he showed, especially in the playoffs, that he can be a top four defenseman, but we're going to get something big time back for that, as opposed to a, a backup goalie. If they drafted five, six backup goalies, maybe you get a fifth round pick or something like that. But I think teams have kind of caught on to, all right, if it's not Carey Price or Henrik Lundqvist, you really shouldn't go nuts with goalies. And so I don't know if they would get as uh, many assets as they could get for some of these defensemen. Yeah, that's a really good point uh, in terms of uh, the market for for defensemen, top four defensemen. You look at the fact that they got Shea Theodore out of this. I think that's a huge win. I know that they, it took you know them basically laying off Vatten and, and laying off um, Manson in, in Anaheim. I think I know that was part of the reason why they they went ahead with the Shea Theodore trade. But this guy was up and down from the AHL for the wrong reasons, and by the wrong reasons, I mean. Anaheim was just so stacked uh, on their back end. The guy didn't even have a chance to show himself. He he didn't play enough, but when he played, he looked great. Um, I think he definitely could slide into their top four um, almost immediately and make an impact there. And um, you know, you go down the list. They they have some older guys, which which is a little um, suspect, but but they have some nice pieces. If if we can transition into the uh, defense core from the draft, they got Clayton Stoner uh, of Anaheim. Uh, Jason Garrison of Tampa Bay, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, who is right-handed, um, not exactly you know a guy that's gonna um, wow you or anything, or or is really uh, projected to to be anything more than maybe a number five. But the fact that he he shoots right-handed is a huge plus, um, especially when uh, there's rumors out there about uh, Carolina being interested in him. So they got TVR, um, Lucas Spiza, he's whatever, uh, Derek Englund. I'm assuming they're they're pulling the uh, the hometown card with him because he he has a home in Vegas. Um, John Merrill, 
Mark Mathot, Nate Schmidt, Braden McNabb, Alexei Emelin, Colin Miller, Griffin Reinhardt, David Schlemko. There's a, there's a lot of NHL players there of varying degrees, um, but they definitely picked up some assets, and it's a matter of which guys they actually care about and want to inject into the core and which ones they want to move on from ASAP and, and get some sort of return from. Yeah, I think you could make up a pretty decent top six there with no real true top defender. But then again, there's a couple of guys at the top of the draft that uh, might be pretty intriguing for them to, to get the future number one. If if Theodore doesn't develop uh, into that, you mentioned that he showed off uh, some pretty good skill at the end of last year with Anaheim. But, you know, I think the one mistake that Vegas made, and overall they did a very nice job of putting together a team that's not going to be a trash bucket and finish last and have everybody in Vegas going, what did we pay 500 million bucks for, right? I, they, they won't have that. I think this team will be very competitive. But I think the one mistake they made was making a deal with Minnesota instead of taking Matt Dumba. Uh, I think Matt Dumba is one of those offensive defensemen that gets too harshly scrutinized because of the mistakes that he makes. Uh, getting out of the own, uh, his own zone or defensive mistakes with angles that he takes and things like that. Uh, just pulling up some of the numbers on him over the last three years, the Wild have scored more goals for with him on the ice and have a better goals for percentage with him on the ice than any other defender. And I even looked at quality of competition. Of course, Ryan Suter's taking on your top lines, but it's not like Dumbo was being so protected that he's out there only against third lines and, and getting fat off those. He had the same quality of competition as Jonas Brodeen last year, who's a defensive shutdown guy. So uh, to me, I, if I were them, I'd look at that and say that's a 22-year-old with high offensive uh, potential and already high offensive output that we could have for a really, really long time to build around. And instead, they took, to me, what is a mediocre prospect in Alex Tuck and just a third or fourth line player in Eric Howla. I mean, overall, they did a really nice job of building out this defense with some fairly young players or guys in their prime, guys that they could potentially trade. I mean, Braden McNabb was a guy that played uh, alongside uh, Drew Doughty for a little while, um, maybe two years ago more than last year. And Schlemko is somebody that the analytics community has always liked more than uh, maybe the old school hockey community. But I thought they had a chance to draft a really, really good defenseman, and instead they kind of took a mediocre package back. It was the only one of the trades that you thought, wow, they they didn't rob them blind there. But I guess it depends on how high, uh, how high you are on Alex Tuck. But I, I did think that there was a mistake made there, but now they have plenty of opportunities to build a decent defense and make trades. Well, you mentioned the the teammate factor, or, or in this case, the uh, the defensive pairing factor. Mark my thought. Let's see how that works out, because I don't think he's a, a bad defenseman by any means. I think he's uh, an average or decent defenseman. But, man, is he was he lifted up by Eric Carlson in Ottawa. So there's rumors out there that Mathot's yeah. on his way out, uh, that, that his stay in Vegas is, is not going to be uh, a long one. So we'll see where that goes. But, you know, on the surface, as we look at, at who they drafted, I'm, I'm very curious as to how Mathot does there or elsewhere if he if he ends up I don't know at the with the Leafs or or the Canadians I know those are two teams that that have come up in trade rumors um kind of like a Braden McNabb like you said uh, you know you you pair him with with an all-star or superstar and they, they're fine they 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 fill in the holes so to speak but 
when they're away from that guy. Let's see what happens. Um, you mentioned uh, before about Nate Schmidt, Nate Schmidt, and and what he can bring to the table. Um, I I just his skating, and the way I saw him a few, a few games here in Toronto when the when when Washington played them in the playoffs, and the fact that he just slid in there after uh, being the seventh guy on that blue line and was able to not look out of place whatsoever. I think this is a type of guy that you know is being given a new a new opportunity in a new town. Um, he's a really young guy, so it's not like he's jaded or anything. But you know, when you sometimes you're stuck behind players that 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 are just you know so entrenched in their roles that you can't even get in there. You can't even find that wiggle room. And I think this will give Schmidt some some room to kind of spread his wings and and maybe be an impact player in this league. We'll see. Um, are you are you impressed by any other guys on the blue line, or 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 are there any picks that you go? Why do they even take that guy, even if they're going to flip him? Well, to your Mathot point, I, that would have been my, you know, sort of eye roll. Oh, of course you're picking Mathot and, you know, whatever. Clayton Stoner, you'd feel the same way, but they got the trade. And Mathot, you could just see Mathot as being a guy that someone else really overvalues. I, I remember going back to when Brooks Orpic signed with Washington. I had thought that Brooks Orpic was so poor the year before in Pittsburgh that he was going to get like a one-year, $1 million deal to go somewhere, and he gets this giant deal with Washington, thinking they've get, gotten Brooks Orpic from five years before. It's like There's always some GM out there who thinks, gosh, you know what I really need is this lockdown defender who's been around and is a veteran, but the reality is that the league is turning right in front of our eyes to more Nate Schmidt. I mean, even... Toronto and Buffalo both going after Josh Georges a few years ago. And, I mean, it's just been a disaster with Georges uh, since he landed in Buffalo. And I think Mathot sort of qualifies in that same sort of area. So I, I love the idea now. I, initially, I was like, oh, man, why would you want Mathot? But now thinking about how many guys that they can trade, um, now I really like the idea of selecting him. On the blue line overall, I mean, I don't know if there's any – Really shocking pick. I mean, uh, I, I agree with you that Trevor Van Riemsdyk is a is a nice player that could do well on the on the trade market. Maybe somebody overvalues him a lot. I'm not a huge fan of him, but like you said, that's a that's a five or six type of guy, a third pair type of guy. And I do think that uh, David Schlemko has kind of been under the radar for a long time. Had a nice season with San Jose and could be another guy. It, it seems like. They had their eye on being modern with how they're building this defense by going after Theodore, bringing in Schlemko, and looking at guys that are the better puck movers because, man, those two teams that were in the Stanley Cup final, who's their big, gritty defender? Nobody. I mean, it's everybody on the top is six for both of those teams, for Pittsburgh and Nashville, can all move the puck. They can all score. And I, I think that that's uh, you can see it with some of the picks. The Derek Englund one, I think, was just a, a hat tip to uh, Vegas. And it's always nice, I guess, to have somebody with some grit to them. But uh, for the most part here, it looks like they went after guys who are going to be able to move the puck. Yeah, Uh it's it's pretty crazy though. They went they went with thirteen defensemen when they were only required to take nine. So my thinking is that George McPhee has either trades lined up in his queue and and it's just a matter of the NHL releasing them, or he you know he has plans to 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 shop around after kind of the dust settles here. Um, it's it's wild, right? Because the uh, the draft is coming up. There's no there's no nothing stopping him from dangling guys at the draft. You know, say I don't know someone wants. Uh, 
I don't know, Alexei Emelin for some reason. Uh, he dangles him, gets, mm-hmm. I don't know, a fourth, a fifth. I don't know what he's worth in the market um, on drafting. And all of a sudden, uh, Vegas, who picked up uh, two first-rounders today, uh, has an, has another pick. Uh, they, they actually have, I believe it's 10 um, picks on Friday. Let me do- just double-check here. Oh, sorry, they have 12 picks. So they have 12 picks in the draft on Friday. Not a deep draft, not a great draft, but they need to fill the cupboards with 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 as much as they can. Um, and obviously, they're going after uh, UFAs. They're going after RFAs. They're going after guys in Europe. Um, and I think it, it really starts with Friday in terms of building the future. Uh, they have the 6th pick, the 13th pick, the 15th pick, and then they have 9 after that. So... Uh, they're definitely, uh, you know, setting themselves up well here. As as underwhelming as the roster may seem, uh, I mean, it's possible that 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 they're one not terrible next year, and two uh, have a bunch of prospects in their system right away. Yeah, I don't think that they're going to be terrible either. Uh, the one thing that they're short on, and naturally, right, since it's expansion draft and everybody's covering all the good players the center position is going to be tough. I think they actually did really well with some wingers. I didn't know if you were ready to transition to the forwards or not yet, but no, I'm taking you there, buddy. I, I was just going to um, say, this is perfect. Keep going. <laughs> okay, well, uh, you know, I mean, you've got some scorers. I mean, you got a couple of guys who have scored 30 goals in the league before, and in Marceso from uh, Florida, which is still kind of a head-scratcher with, with – uh, him and Riley Smith ending up there, and James Neal can still score, or maybe not quite like he used to. David Perron, that might be kind of a new start for him, but he's always a guy that you can, he's not perfect as a player, but you can get 20 goals out of him. It's just right now, as far as the center position, you've got Cody Eakin, who's more of a third line guy. You've got Eric Howa, who's more of a third line guy. It's like, how are you going to fill those positions around some of these scores? I mean, it looks like a team that might be pretty good with Theodore starting on the power play, and you got some scoring wingers that can shoot the puck pretty well. So, I mean, competitive comes to mind for me, not a team where you say, oh, yeah, I mean, they're definitely going to take on, you know, the Nashvilles and Chicago's uh, next year or something like that. But you could say on a night-to-night basis, this is not a team where you're going to roll into town and just truck their forwards because they were able to pick up enough solid players and even some younger guys with a little bit of intrigue. I mean, not uh, high-end prospects or anything like that, but I thought William Carlson was halfway decent last year. Uh, William Carrier from uh, the Sabres, he just made his debut last year. So they even got a few guys where you say, okay, well, maybe that guy, if he's given more opportunity and plays with some of these players, gets some more ice time, that maybe he can he could step up. And so, again, it kind of goes to that achieving the main goal of we cannot be a joke, but also, like you mentioned, all those draft picks, three picks in the top 15, I mean, that's a great way to kick off a prospect system, right? And, and that's what you're trying to build there if you're the organization, because I don't think they can just tank in the first year like many of these uh, franchises historically have done and uh, you know for the San Jose Sharks they were what one of the worst teams ever and then you know they get Patrick Marlowe with a top pick and things like that when they came into the league um, if I'm getting my history right there I, I don't think that the Vegas team can do that but they have enough forwards to at least uh, be pretty interesting and it's not all old guys either you know somebody like Marceau could say stay pretty good for for a while after emerging this year from being an AHL guy to a 30-goal scorer, 
And and the same goes for, uh, you know, an Eric Howa and, and a few other players like that. So uh, if you've got a good number of players who are coming into their prime and then you'll have these first-round picks eventually coming up through the system, I think that's a, kind of a good five-year outlook for this team. Yeah, the Florida acquisitions are, are head-scratching from a Panthers perspective. Um, John Marchessel. Is he a 30-goal scorer next season? Probably not. But is he a 20-goal scorer? Probably. I mean, he's he's uh, you know he's kind of rode the wave of, of high shooting percentage um, last season. He was off to a, a ridiculous start um, and then, you know, sort of like tapered off and then came back. Like, he's, he didn't have like the most consistent season, but he still ended up with 30 goals and somehow he leaves, they leave him unprotected. Even, even if there's, you know, some doubt there, I don't know how you kind of justify that within the organization. But... They've done it, um, and he's he's super cheap. Uh, one of the best bargains in the league. And w- with Vegas, if if next year doesn't work out, they just wash their hands of him and see you later because he just has one year left on his deal, and he's super cheap. So, not sure the thinking there from Florida's perspective. And then I guess I can see a little bit more of the story um, with Riley Smith and and his contract being something that that they don't want to deal with anymore. Um, but still, a guy that that I think, you know, you put him in Vegas and you give him more ice time um, and we'll see what happens. Um, I, I like the James Neal pickup. I just wonder how long he's going to stay there, uh, whether it's mm-hmm. within the summer he moves or at the next deadline. And you know what? Either way, uh, this Vegas team gets something out of a guy who's um, in his 30s and still can – like he's one of the – really he's one of the more – uh, dependable shooters uh, in the league, at least at least historically uh, throughout his career. Um, I believe he's been in the league for nine seasons. Has gotten twenty goals every year. Uh, hit the hit the high water mark with forty, I believe, in two thousand nine. Um, last year had a good season. So, I mean, it, it's one of those situations where, uh, no matter how the rules were going to be laid out, um, they were obviously going to be starved for scoring because that's one thing that other teams were going to hold on to. Um, they got a couple okay pieces. They got a lot of third liners, in, in my opinion. You know, that, like you mentioned, the William mm-hmm. Carlsons of the world. The, I mean, Brendan Leipzig of of, of the Leafs. Um, I'm, I'm not, I don't even know if he's going to make the the NHL team. He's he's sort of a tweener between uh, uh, the AHL and the NHL. He's done great. He's he's put up huge numbers in the AHL. Um, but there's a reason why he hasn't really. Uh, been given a shot with the Leafs, and and we'll see what happens with Vegas. But I don't know if his ceiling's super high. Um, you just go up and down the list and there's really, there's, there's not much to be super excited about. Um, you know, Connor Brickley, um, Oscar Lindbergh, like these are just kind of some random guys across the league. Right. Uh, and then Chris Thorburn, who I was quite shocked, uh, they picked, but I think there's more to the story there in terms of a trade, uh, with the jets to lay off someone else. Um, I believe Toby Enster maybe, but that, that hasn't been confirmed or, or, or anything like that, but I, there's no way that that Vegas front office, with all those smart minds, thought we need Chris Thorborn. <laughs> We're gonna waste our <laughs> our one pick on that guy. Like that's the one pick that I in the entire draft that I go. There's absolutely no way that they they wanted to pick him and that and that he's their guy. Yeah, that ha- that has to be one that that comes along with a pick. It's just uh, again with the NHL, it's sort of a weird thing with announcing the trades or not announcing every single trade. So we've got to wait for Bob McKenzie to help us out here. And then, you know, you know, it's just sort of a, it's a weird, uh, a whole weird system that, that that's happened. But, um, you know, the one thing that uh, I kept thinking about as you were 
discussing some of the forwards is that how opponents of Vegas approach this, uh, how the other 30 teams went about dealing with what is happening here is as interesting as Vegas's perspective. And from Florida's, it says a little bit about just where their organization is in general, which seems to be pretty lost. And that's unfortunate because when they won their division, I was thinking, man, this team is going to be something to be just a force to be reckoned with. Alexander Barkov is one of the best players in the entire National Hockey League. Aaron Ekblad gets a concussion in a preseason game and comes back pretty soon and then gets another concussion. And But when he's healthy and 100%, he can be one of the better defensemen in the league. So you've got these pieces to build off. Of course, Huberto is really good. Vincent Trocek is really good. And so then you hear that their front office is going all analytics. Well, great. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, not that they would be the only ones that have bought uh, into analytics, but all right, let's see how this plays out. And then, you know, you get a coach firing, and then there's a potential power struggle going on there with Dale Talon, and then now they're bringing Chris Pronger into the mix, and Bob Bugner, who they hired to be the coach, is saying that he hates analytics, and it's like, all right, what is going on here in Florida? And then it's kind of capped off by this giving away somebody who just scored 30 goals for you. And, you know, the thing with shooting percentage is, yes, there are certain numbers in shooting percentage that are going to be really hard to keep up, but over years and years, high-skill players always come out with higher shooting percentages than lower-skill players. And I had a chance to see Marchessault play in the AHL, and the dude lit it up. I mean, this is a very high-skill player. He may be undersized, but he can play. So even if he doesn't score 30 and he only scores 22 or whatever it may be, uh, that's still a, a pretty talented, fairly young player right there. And giving him away to take $5 million contract. That's a $5 million contract, not eight, right? I mean, it's just Riley Smith is not that good, but uh, it doesn't seem like that contract is disastrous to their cap situation. So, I, I mean, they're they the, I guess if you were picking like winners and losers of this whole thing, to me, they're the biggest loser of this in, entire event uh, from, from anybody. So that was part of the fascination that I had with this is just watching how all these other teams approached it, where I think Minnesota was a winner to be able to keep Matt Dumba, and I think the Anaheim Ducks were winners to be able to keep uh, Sammy Votnin and Josh Manson too. Yeah, you talk about Smith and his $5 million uh, price tag. So uh, two guys that we haven't talked about because they came via trade are uh, Mikhail Grabowski and David Clarkson. Uh, Grabowski makes $5 million, same as Riley Smith. Um, David Clarkson makes 5.25 and he probably will never play for the team. And by probably, I mean, most definitely won't, uh, he's there. He's there to eat up cap space at this point. Um, and then you have Cody Eakin at uh, 3.85. Like they have some contracts, but yeah, they, they, other than Clarkson, they didn't take on anything outrageous. Uh, and, and I'm looking now at, at cap friendly and Chris Thorburn is a UFA in a couple days. So, there's obviously something going on there where they're probably just going to let him walk and he will be literally a golden knight for like three days. Um, yeah, this team, uh, it's going to look vastly different come training camp and uh, even even past training camp. Uh, you know, at, at a deadline, does do we do they say bye to uh, to a Cody Eakin, a, a good depth player in the league who uh, who could be used elsewhere on the penalty kill, you know, wins faceoffs, which we know. 
um, you know, NHL veterans love uh, behind the bench or, or managers. They, they love their face-off guys, especially towards the playoffs. Um, David Perron, like, like they have a lot of guys that, that just seem to be always on the trade market. Um, so I guess it's, it's not completely surprising that uh, they've landed in Vegas. Am I missing something with the Riley Smith deal, though? I mean, like, I, I don't mean to obsess over this. He's making $5 million and he had 50 points his first year and 37 points on a team that had a bunch of injuries. Huberto went down. Barkov missed some time. Yager started to regress. He's 26 years old. Guys who score 40 to 50 points in the league now make $5 bucks, right? I mean, this doesn't seem like a player that you had to throw away, uh, that you were just dying for someone to take that was totally ineffective. I mean, that's just not the case with him. I mean, I, I, I saw a couple of tweets. Maybe it's a business thing that they're trying to get to a certain number with the cap. I don't know. But that seems like a bad idea to give away a young player that's good and then another guy who you do pay a little too much, but not a crazy amount. If this team got its scoring back together as a whole team, you're probably getting 45 points or 50 points next year from Riley Smith. He scored 20 goals plus twice. I I am just at a complete loss. I know that, I mean, I've sort of like sat on this for a little while, but that, that one is, is really something. And to, to your point, though, I think that's exactly what they will do. They'll try to be competitive off the bat. But anybody who they can trade when it comes to the deadline, they'll be one of those sellers more likely than not, unless somehow they're in first place. That's pretty unlikely. Uh, you'll <laughs> see them move moving guys off. And, and there you go. You, and that's building a long-term future where you've already got three first-round picks in the first 15 right now. And then maybe if you're dealing a James Neal to a desperate team, well, maybe you get the 25th overall pick uh, next year and you end up with a top 10 pick yourself because that's where you finish in the standings, you are off to a very, very nice start. And that's what you, I think that's what you want to do. Uh, when I look back at Columbus, they were so abominable to start that, you know, they needed those top draft picks to all be superstars and then build around them. And it seemed like they were stuck in the mud for such a long time. Even though Rick Nash was great, they were still, they still had such a tough time building the decent players around him. I feel like that's one thing that Vegas has right now is they have decent role players. If you took maybe 50% of the guys off these rosters, they would make, make for good uh, role players on winning teams. They just need the high-end talent, and that is presumably going to come in the draft. Yeah, and they're they're doing all right in the next couple drafts too. Like If you look towards 2019, so two years from now, so it could easily be added and subtracted, but just for fun – they won first rounder, three second rounders, two third rounders, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, and a seventh. So already they're at uh, they're at ten picks. I mean that could easily you know go up and up and up and up and up. Um, and they could maybe target I don't know uh, a couple seasons down the road from then as as when they want to like fully peak. I know that seems like forever from now, but um, you know these these picks don't just blossom overnight, right? So I, I'm curious. Like it would be great to be inside the room and and really. Um, see the the honest opinions of a guy like George McPhee, a guy like Kelly McCrimmon, his uh, his assistant GM, um, other guys on the staff who who are looking at this realistically and going like, okay, we, you know, we have these players, we have some decent pieces from the draft, we're gonna add through free agency and in the draft, but realistically, when should we be shooting for in terms of you know a, a three year plan, a four year plan, a five year plan? 
And I, I don't know, like off the top of my head, I, I would have to look more into it, but I wonder if they have sort of a, a number in their head um, where they, they stay competitive for, for that whole time, but they really peak at you know year 2020 or something. I, I guess if I were uh, living in Vegas, um, first of all, I would fix my AC on my car, which, uh, you know, in Minnesota, it still gets a little hot, gets a little humid, but <laughs> yeah. it doesn't get up to 120. Um, I, I don't, I, I have seen minus 25 in Minnesota, but I've not seen 120. Um, boy, now I, uh, got caught up on the weather and forgot where I was going with that. No, if I was a <laughs> Vegas fan living out there and I just bought my cool Jersey and I was already in psych to go, I think I'd be putting my expectations at fairly competitive, but dealing at the trade line, deadline year one, right in the mix for playoffs year two. And year three, when my sixth overall pick or the other guys are ready to be on the team and make an impact, and I've had a couple of years to build, year three is where I would be saying, all right, now it's time to let everybody know you're in the league and make the playoffs for the first time. I think because they drafted all these decent players and even a goalie who can keep you competitive right away and a couple of goalies that might be good in the future – I mean, I guess you think if you're going to be a Vegas fan, yeah, all right. So you drafted, you didn't just draft everyone's Clayton Stoner. You drafted some fairly nice players. So that must mean that your plan is for us to be competitive going forward. Here's a question for you. How much credit do you give George McPhee for this whole thing? Because I think that Vegas should feel great about where they stand, just over the moon, like everything that should have been done, stacking up the picks. I know I criticized the Dumba thing, but you still get a prospect and a player out of that. So, but I also feel like in a way it was sort of handed to him a little bit. Like you just couldn't have gotten a better situation. You would have had to have worked to mess this up since everybody was coming to you and begging you to take their picks and their players not to select guys. So I'm not sure how I should feel about George McPhee right now. I'm kind of going to have to judge him over the years that come as opposed to how he handled this. Well, put it this way. He could have really screwed this up. Um, and I know he's got a big staff there. And I know uh, there's there's a lot of uh, voices in that room in terms of, you know, they have analytics guys. They have uh, pro scouts. They have amateur scouts. They have just hockey ops guys that are there to offer support. Um, but it sounds like he's pulling the trigger on most of these deals. And if you just look at his body of work from today, aside from the 30 picks, they made 10 trades. Uh, I know that it's been building over a year that, that not everything happens overnight. But, I mean, he could have played it safe and just sort of, you know, made a couple trades, uh, you know, just to, to lay off maybe a player or two. But it sounds like they went almost uh, all in. And I'm looking at it now and um, I'm, I'm assuming that the, the Winnipeg first rounder that they got is is – is uh, in relation to Thorburn and, and taking him. So uh, just just to relate it back to what we were speaking about before, um, it, my head's sort of spinning from all this because so much has happened. It's hard to analyze it right off the top, but um, I would give him a you know a solid uh, A minus B plus. Uh, you know, a couple hours after uh, this has all happened, and it, it's going to be another you know few days here where where he's not getting much sleep. Um, and uh, hopefully the draft is a lot easier in terms of they just have their draft board and, and they pick you know best player available and they're not thinking about it too much because really what what it, they're building from the from the bottom up so hopefully that's that's a little easier on them in terms of uh, decision making but he's still the busiest guy in the league uh, there's still 
going to be GMs calling him constantly, trying to get this guy, trying to get that guy, or conversely, trying to get rid of guys. Um, it, it With the salary cap involved this time, if you compare it to the last time the NHL expanded uh, around the, the turn of the century when they had four teams come in uh, over a three-year span, the, the fact that the salary cap is involved just throws so much uh, confusion, so many layers into this. And um, McPhee, has seen, he's navigated it pretty well so far, I'd say. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I wouldn't have uh, too many criticisms for how this was handled because they were able to stack so many assets in the form of picks. And if you consider that with the moves like Thorburn or wherever you find a bad pick in finger quotes, like a Clayton Stoner, who would ever pick Clayton Stoner? But then you find out that, you know, you get Theodore because of that. Oh, of course, that it ends up turning into a very good pick. I guess I'm not giving him as much credit for doing exactly what the most obvious thing to do was, right? I mean, draft the good players with teams that won't deal with you, and anybody who will, you just take all of their assets, and that seems like exactly what he did. Now, I think where we'll find out, and I'll be able to grade at least this portion of the program, is after the draft, and we can see who has been moved out, who they're going to keep on the roster, how they're going to design it, and how many even more players they can pull in, or, or if they can find a way to even get some halfway decent players out of trades or halfway decent assets by moving some of the players that they did draft, then I think I'll be able to grade it. I feel like what happened as we look at it right after was kind of all of the the most blatant picks that that any of us, that you or I, if they just uh, woke us up and said, well, what would you do here? Uh, We'd say, well, all right, uh, anybody got some first-round picks you want to give us to not draft Brock Nelson? Oh, you will? Great. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, so I, I guess I, I'm very much in wait and see in, in how this turns out. And I think whether it ultimately becomes a great, great, great team or not, um, may have unfortunately for the Vegas team been uh, decided depending on how good this draft is, which, you know, I've, I've heard quite a few people say that it's not one of the hottest drafts they've seen. I guess I'm still a little confused, John, at, um, the fact that they didn't get the top overall pick. When you pay that much money to get into the league, uh, you know, I guess if, if I were a Vegas fan, I'd be feeling a little better about this whole thing if I knew, all right, now we get Nolan Patrick, so we've got our guy we can build completely around. At six, that's, I mean, the, the history of the sixth overall pick is a heck of a lot different than number one or number two, so maybe I'd be feeling a, a little bit better. But I think these couple of picks will ultimately decide how this really, really turns out in the long term as we watched Sidney Crosby win another Stanley Cup this year. It it always comes to mind that the teams that keep winning the Stanley Cups all drafted pretty high over over and over again. And they're going to have a lot of firsts, but they won't have one of those number one overall picks uh, this time. And the way I see it, probably not next year either. To be fair uh, to uh, the lottery balls, uh, <laughs> Vegas did have a really good chance. <laughs> yes. They had a really good chance at one, at two, at three, and they slid to six. Like It's kind of one of those things where um, I think aside from the guys, uh, the teams who ended up in those positions, most people were like, yeah, we'd like to see Vegas get a good pick here. Let's see what happens uh, with this kind of giving them a head start, so to speak. Um, so it's unfortunate that that, that, that happened, but – um, if there's one thing that I've learned about this whole, uh, you know, hoopla around uh, the expansion draft and all the leaks um, and all the lead up to it is that George McPhee had a lot of leverage. There were 
teams calling him saying, please, we want to get rid of this contract. What can we do for you? Did he maybe hold off on on some things and didn't pull the trigger? Yeah. Was he maybe too nice to certain GMs? Yeah, yeah, probably too. Um, it's one of those working relationships where, you know, that's why there's not many offer sheets in the league. Uh, guys want to deal with that guy again. Uh, the other GM that they, you know, quote unquote, screw over by an offer sheet, right? So the same thing works with this draft. He he couldn't go around acting like he, he had all the power in the world, even though he did have a lot of power. He had to sort of, you know, weasel his way around, and, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So um, here he is with this, with a, a really a ragtag team that will look uh, va- vastly different, as we've mentioned a few times uh, in the fall. Um, okay, the NHL awards also happened tonight, uh, breaking news. Uh do you have any strong feelings about any of the award winners? Obviously, the big uh, story of the night is is Connor McDavid cleaning up in uh, in his categories, uh, taking the Ted Lindsay, taking the uh, the Art Ross and the Hart, and just I, I believe even took the cover of the video game, which is whatever. But people care about that. <laughs> um, so it was it was a McDavid fest. Um, but aside from that, any uh, any strong feelings? Let me let me answer that. In one second, but let me double back real quick. Yeah, if sure. you are, if you're George McPhee, why? What is your argument against putting in an offer sheet for Evgeny Kuznetsov? What? What is? What would be the drawback? It, just as you were talking about it, it made me think. What would be the drawback of offer sheeting and overpaying, of course, and giving up some draft picks? People are under the impression, though, that you need to give up 50 draft picks or something to do it. You don't have to do it. You just have to go higher than the other team can afford with its cap room, right? What is the If any team was ever in a position to steal some great players with offer sheets, I feel like it's the Vegas team, and Kuznetsov is the best player on the list. Or no. Johansson, but I like Kuznetsov a little better. No, I, like, I agree. I, I, you know, in a perfect world, uh, GM's offer sheet every day <laughs> and that becomes just a thing right. that that is done uh, often but i just i think uh, you make a good point that that if it's ever going to be done this would be it because you know mcphee has all this kind of equity and and all this sort of uh positivity around his team this is sort of just like you know let's fly this one under the radar sort of thing um and then maybe you know try to make it seem like it's a one-off uh, you know we're an expansion team we're just going to do this once and and you know Everyone look away while we do it and then don't hate me after because I think that human element plays into it uh, because they don't want – I think it's almost like an unwritten rule like do not offer sheet even though you are you know, totally permitted to do it. You just – you don't do it unless you want to be you know, scorned at if you want guys to talk behind your back. Like it seems childish. It seems like it's, it's counterintuitive and counterproductive. But I don't know. I, I you know, if if he did it, I wouldn't be um, completely shocked because uh, of the circumstances and the the unique, um, you know, uh, situation that he he finds himself in. But it's just so unusual. I mean, how often does a guy get offer sheeted? It's it's really it's once in a blue moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's some teams that have cap issues that you could nail with it. I mean, David Pasternak is an RFA. He scored 70 points last year, and Boston couldn't afford it if you threw 7 or $8 million a year at him. Whatever is the threshold that's just below 
where you have to give up the four first-round picks. I don't know what it will be for this year. But, I mean, Washington doesn't have a great cap situation. You could nail them. You could nail Minnesota by taking Mikel Granlin. I mean, there's there's opportunities there that are going to get passed up on that is uh, – I guess it just disappoints me about the league because it would make it so much more fun if people were offer sheeting all over. And by the way, like what you're talking about, with is it? I mean, is this not? Is the goal not to win? I mean, are these people not competing with each other? Uh, what is the deal with trying to be overly friendly to fellow GMs? Who cares if if Boston doesn't trade with you ever again? And you took David Pasternak and you have a 70 point scorer who's 21 years old. They're like, okay, fine. I would certainly trade not being able to deal with one team for having a guy who scored 70 points in 75 games. I think it's nuts that teams don't do that, but I, I can tell you my thoughts on the award, on the awards, if you like. Well, I was just going to say it's just, it's such a conservative league and. You know, when you're talking about, uh, you know, sort of just just going out and and doing something and and not thinking about what what the league thinks of you. I mean, you look at the way that they treat players. I mean, I know it's all fair and game, like it's it's part of the CBA and 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 they have the right to do it and all that. But guys get bought out all the time. Guys get you know tra- mm-hmm. traded to to places that you know they might be on the first place team. They get traded to the last place team. Like it's totally legal. It's totally fine. But you know, at, at points you're going that was that was a little cutthroat or or whatever and. I guess they they just don't see it in the same realm, or or maybe we're missing something as 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 outsiders. But from my perspective, it, it seems like almost uh, apples and oranges to them uh, in terms of dealing with players and dealing with managers, um, and and the type of yeah. Risk. I don't get it, man. I I really don't because you know you got players out there who you expect to play with broken legs or whatever, right? Nick Benino, I think, had a broken what tibia or something, and he's still trying to play. So you expect these guys. You are there. This whole league is so competitive that you expect your players to go out there and give your future body away for a chance to win. And yet the guy at the top is afraid of hurting somebody's feelings and maybe afraid of giving away the draft picks. But I mean, if you could get a young player who's already been developed by somebody else and the other team just cannot afford him. I mean, with Boston, they spent all their money on David Backus and Matt Bolesky, these bad signings, right? Well, that's your problem that you did that. And you were just banking on the fact that nobody would come and hurt your feelings and take your 70-point scorer. I mean, to me, it's just that is one of those things that if you, if you just went to Theo Epstein, for example, and said, Theo, what are you going to do to fix my hockey team? What's your idea? I know you're a baseball guy, but what can you do here? Uh, well, what are our options? Well, we could just take this guy. We'd have to give away a couple draft picks, and he'd be real sad. Like, what, would he say no <laughs> to a 21-year-old player, right? I mean, that, that's just it, it has always been one of the craziest of all the wacky things that the NHL does that I don't understand. Uh, that's one of them. But anyway, what, what about, I, 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 I don't see it happening, though. What about with the awards? Was there anything you didn't understand there? Um, well, you know, it's... Eric Carlson should be the Norris Trophy winner, but unfortunately, you know, the playoffs play into that, into how I think about it, and the playoffs don't count. But in the playoffs, he had one of the best performances by a defenseman in the history of the NHL. And so that makes me go, ah, gosh, I think going into 2017, I think he's the best defenseman in the NHL. Therefore, I want to give him the Norris now. Plus, Brent Burns, it was almost like it was decided – 
two-thirds of the way through because Brent Burns didn't score at the same rate toward the end of the season and kind of tailed off a little, and Carlson got hot. And I think, to be honest, Carlson is a better all-around player. I mean, there's just this thing out there that he's an offense, purely offensive defenseman, can't play defense. I think that's when he was 20. I think now he's as good as it gets as an all-around defenseman. I don't see the mistakes. I don't see him getting worked as often. Somebody who's around the puck all the time, who's got the camera on them all the time, you'll notice their mistakes more than everybody else. But his impact on the game, and if he's got to go up against somebody really good, I think he proved in the playoffs that he can handle it as well as anybody in the league. So I prefer him as a defenseman to Brent Burns, but I understand why Burns gets that pick. Uh, I might have still gone Sidney Crosby for the heart. I, 44 goals, leads the league. Uh, I thought he was incredibly valuable to that team that went through a lot with injuries to Chris Letang to even get to the playoffs. But McDavid leads the league in points. It's, again, uh, just a weird thing that they give – a second assist, and so you can lead the league in points, and you go, well, he had more than the other guy. and you know. But really, Sydney scoring 44 goals, I think, might have been more impressive. But then again, you look at how the Oilers played with McDavid on the ice versus off, and the difference in, in goals for, and it's just outrageous. So he carried that team all the way into the playoffs. Um, David Poyle, GM of the year, is a great pick, but Peter Shirelli... As number two, Pierre, Dor- just, Pierre Dorian was it, Pierre Dorian was also a finalist, which was uh, a little alarming. Like whatever, I don't get I don't get worked up about this stuff, but like I was just like, how does he even make the top five? I don't know. He made some deft moves at at the deadline, but he's, I mean, if you look at his roster and 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 there's a lot of a lot of warts there, and I don't know. It, it seems like kind of an arbitrary award, and maybe you just. I believe the broadcasters uh, vote on it. And I don't know if it's just, uh, you know, sort of a, a bias towards, you know, certain guys and how, they, yeah. how they've dealt. I don't know. I don't know where, where you draw the line between, you know, the top three GMs and the rest of the field. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, when it comes to moves that you made or whatever else, I mean, all he did was build a team that was barely in the playoffs in the worst division in hockey. I, I guess I, I'm missing something there. Um, I, Jack Adams is fine. John Tortorella or Mike Babcock would have been my pick. Uh, Babcock did a great job with the young talent. Um, Bobrovsky, I just give it to whoever has the highest save percentage. So that works for me. Um, I can't believe Selkie. Now, of course. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, I, I know that Bobrovsky is, you know, a quality NHL goalie and there's nothing, you know, to really pick apart there. But the fact that he has two Vesnas and you look around the league at how many guys, uh, have more than one Vesna. Like it's kind of crazy that Bobrovsky, out of all guys, is a multiple winner, and they're spread out. <laughs> and, and in between, there's there's some rocky seasons, but it's just something that that caught my eye. It's like wow, a two time winner, uh, Sergey Bobrovsky. Yeah, and the crazy thing is that he's a bus fire in the playoffs in both of those years, right? It's just like what a what an odd thing to win the Vesna and then just be, well, maybe the first one he wasn't as bad, but this last one, he wins the Vesna and then is just the worst goalie in the playoffs. And that's happened to him a few times. So, um, you know, it's almost like you can win two Vesnas, but not really be even considered the best goalie in the league or even maybe top five. I, I mean, good, really, really good in the regular season. Certainly a great year this year, but the whole body of work is just like, eh, it's pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, I, it, but his highs are very, very, I think it, maybe it's like Jonathan Quick, where people will debate over Jonathan Quick's career save percentage, but his highs, when he's at his absolute hottest, he's one of the best 
ever in the playoffs. And if you've got a goalie who can get hot and, and give you that type of performance, then uh, I guess you take it. And um, Selkie, the only thing that made me laugh with Selkie is that Mikel Granlin was like sixth or something like that. It made, it made no sense at all. I mean, he's a, a one-dimensional winger who got moved away from center to wing, and his role basically was watching him all year to break out of the zone as soon as possible, as soon as one of his teammates got the puck, to break out of the zone and create transition in the offensive end. He was basically a pure offensive player, and he ends up, and he was playing along with Miko Koivu, who was uh, in the top three. And that, that's just some yeah, of these that's are like, yeah. who are you looking at? I mean, that that guy is was not asked to play a defensive role really at all. It's just kind of kind of wacky so if you went through it there were some really funny like six place votes where you go all right that had to be the local guy right (laughs) you know so okay so uh, like i mean you've talked about a few awards uh does anyone anything else come to mind or or we sort of wrap this thing up uh this this crazy day of the awards of vegas and really just a, a flurry of events in terms of uh trades and the jersey unveil yesterday all that crap yeah i guess uh all that I could say is the next couple of days uh, and even weeks as we go into free agency, I mean, the the NBA gets a lot of credit for its offseason, and it is wild and fun, but this year has to be one of the most bizarre offseasons that the NHL is ever going to have, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to trades. I wrote an article recently about trades I want to see, and that's that's what I'm going for. I'd love to see the Wild try to go chase down Alex Galchenyuk to see what could potentially happen there is it seems like Montreal might decide to move him after uh, picking up Jonathan Duran. So, uh, I mean, that's, that's for me what I'm interested in. The Vegas thing has really kind of, you know, the, the NHL off seasons are usually pretty good and usually pretty entertaining, but it's basically poured gasoline all over this one and it's, uh, it's made it extra entertaining. That's a perfect segue to uh, giving you a plug. Where can people read your hockey work? Uh, ESPN Insider is one place, and I uh, do occasionally write about the Wild. I wrote about the the Dumba deal uh, to keep Matt Dumba at fifteen hundred ESPN as well. All right, perfect, Matt. Uh, and just lastly, what's your uh, Twitter account so people can uh, stalk you on there? That is at Matthew Collar. If uh, I've said anything even one percent wrong, somebody please tweet me about it. Because, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not. I, I don't attack my. I don't attack my Twitter followers. I actually like. I don't know about you. If I've if I've got a typo or something, I see people get defensive. I'm like, thank you, thanks for the correction. I'll fix that real fast. So I like. I enjoy my Twitter followers. Matthew, at Matthew Collar, anytime anybody wants to come by and offer uh, some hockey or football thoughts, I'm good with that. Awesome. Thanks again for your time, Matt. All right, for sure. Thank you.